Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to The Vanity Project with me, Vanity Von Glow. On today's episode, I sit down with Labour MP Don Butler. Part of the aim of this podcast is to have conversations with people from across the political spectrum, uh, although I do feel like I'm starting at home here a bit because I first voted for Labour in 2007, um, I think, in the Scottish elections. And in every constituency I've ever lived in, as far as I'm aware, I've always had a Labour MP or MSP, despite them not winning any of those general elections. So they've not been in power all the time that I was voting for them. Um, there seems to be a bit of a resetting of the chessboard going on in British and global politics, and some people feel politically homeless. So for me, it's really great to get to talk to one of our elected representatives and... I'll get straight into the conversation here with the wonderful Dawn, who I found to be every bit as warm and good-natured as I had expected from her other media appearances. So I'm very excited to have her on the podcast today. First elected in 2005 as the MP for Brent South, she served as an assistant whip, which is not a dominatrix term. Uh, she was the parliamentary secretary in the cabinet office, responsible for youth participation before narrowly losing an election to the Lib Dems in 2010, but making a comeback worthy of Cher or Jennifer Lopez when she returned to parliament in 2015 and has been MP for Brent Central ever since. Um, she served as a shadow minister for black and minority ethnic communities and later as shadow secretary of state for women and equalities under Jeremy Corbyn's leadership um, and ran to be deputy leader in 2020. Uh, she's back serving her local constituency here in London and uh, being a high profile MP in the media. So we're thrilled to have her on this first series of the podcast. Don Butler, welcome to The Vanity Project. How are you? Hey, Vanity, I'm great, not too bad. I quite like that introduction. You know, especially the sheer bit, I'm loving that. I might have yes. to uh, cut that and use that to introduce me at party conference. Well, I mean, you, you've not been around for as long as Cher, but perhaps in 70 <laughs> years, you'll still be in Parliament and we can say, you're, yeah, you're just, just like the great lady. Um, I oh, wanted I'm to go one of those right ones. the way back. No. <laughs> pastures new eventually i wanted to start by going back um to the beginning i mean when you were first elected in 2005 the labor party were in government which feels like a distant memory now what was it that inspired you 
way back then to first become involved in politics? Um, yeah, you're right. It was a long time ago and it feels like a long time ago. Um, and I wish we were back in government again. You know, so, so, so much would be different. Uh, it was quite a shock coming back and being in opposition. But what, um, I didn't actually want to be an MP. Uh, that wasn't sort of my main aim and goal in life, was to be a politician. Uh, probably why I'm a little bit different from, you know, most of the others, really. I was actually, I started off my career as a computer programmer. Uh, and yeah. then um, I raised a lot of money for charity when I left there because I was sexually harassed a lot. I mean, it was a very male-dominated field. Um, and, you know, I was the only black woman there. And basically I got harassed, sexually harassed a lot. So in the end, I left. I um, raised a lot of money for charity because I used to do all the time. So I sort of took a year out to just focus on charity work. And then essentially Vanity, my mum said, you need to get a job and move out of the house. <laughs> so, uh, so I went <laughs> looking for, <laughs> so, so I went uh, looking for a job. And true story, I went to sign on. Um, and because I'd worked in the city, uh, I got the letter saying you need to go in for the job centre for an interview. And so I went all suited and booted with my little sort of leather, you know, uh, briefcase kind of thing to go to the job centre for an interview. And they thought I'd come to be interviewed for a job. Uh, and so in the end, I ended up working for the job centre. So, um, oh, um, no, <laughs> that's a great example of dress for the job you want. Do you know what I mean? Um, if you present yourself in the right way, great things can happen. Exactly that. So, um, and then after that, I worked for trade union and, that, and just became, you know, even more of a political activist every day. And that was my route into politics. So it wasn't something that, oh, I want to be a politician. I'm not like the prime minister, yeah. do you know what I mean? But at the age of 11, he said he wanted to be prime minister. No, that was never, yeah. that was never, yeah. There is that old thing of like the people who want, who have the strong burning desire to want to be in power. It, sort of disqualifies them from being the right people in many ways, doesn't it? Because public service is about public service. Yeah, and I would agree with that. I think the current prime minister is a classic example of why, you know, if that's what you've wished for from the age of 11, that you should definitely not, not get it. Now, I'm sure we'll come on to our, uh, to our illustrious prime minister uh, during the course of our conversation. I thought something that might be interesting though, because I'm quite interested in how Parliament actually works for, for you guys, the MPs. And I think it's probably safe to say that Boris Johnson is one of your least favourite, if not your least favourite um, members of Parliament. But do you have a favourite Tory? Because I know that you'll be close with your people on the Labour backbenches, but what's it like across the other side of, uh, of the Commons? Do you have relationships where you feel like you can actually work with certain people in the Conservative Party? <laughs> Well, it's a big question to ask me if I've got a favourite. <laughs> um, but uh, <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, no, we do work together. So I like my select committee. I'm on the science and tech select committee. And yeah. I like that committee. And um, like uh, Catherine Fletcher is, uh, is like, I think she's really quite 
you know, bright and, and clever and kooky too sort of thing, you know. Um, so, so yeah, they're, I like the select committee. I like working on there, all different characters on there, but we work well as a team. And so, yeah, yeah so people, people often think that, because you really only see us when we're arguing. And I mean, I love a good argument. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. um, you kind of see us when we're all arguing and think we never get on. But yeah, you can get on and have a laugh and, and that with them. And I, and I think in a way as well, that's human nature as well. You should be able to disagree and, you know, still be able to have a laugh in a different environment, even though... You know, I wouldn't trust some of them to look after my cat, you know? <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, I, I think that's right. I think there's, I, I feel sometimes that some people have this belief. I remember when a lot of the SNP came down uh, in that sort of big rush of SNP MPs. And I feel like there was, I don't know what it was like on the inside, but I always got the impression some of the SNP MPs didn't even want to look at or talk to anyone else in Parliament. I don't know the case to the extent to which that would have been true. But um, obviously they have an opposition to the, to the existence of Westminster anyway. So I understand that to an extent, but um, there's a lot of adversarial politics goes on, but at the same time, we, I hope our representatives can work together. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's quite heartening well, to hear that. that at least there's some room for cooperation. Yeah, very observant of you. Like, you know, um, you know, like in the movies where there's the army marching and you can just hear them coming, sort of left, right, left, right, you know, that was a lot. Yeah. That was what the SNP were like. They just, they hunted in the group. I think there was 50 plus of them and they just hunted yeah. as a group, you know, it's like they, they went yeah. everywhere together. They walked everywhere together. It was, it was a little bit intimidating. Yeah, I was just like, shit, look at them. Um, and then yeah. there's a little bit of, you know, God, I wish we were as united as them. It was a bit, a little bit of jealousy as well, I must admit, because they were very united. Um, but yeah, well, you know, I'm, 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 I'm Scottish. So like when I, I grew up in, uh, in Fife and Glasgow and it doesn't surprise me, there's, there's a bit of the Scottish spirit in there. I could well imagine coming down and, you know, there's, yeah, it's pretty, pretty interesting. Because yeah, the thing yeah. I remember, I think Maru Black had said the uh, who for the time was the youngest MP, and she said, "Well, she had a real issue with the Yabu politics of Westminster, all the shouting and the jeering, and you know all of the old theatrical traditions." And I have to say, I kind of agree with the critique of that. I understand it's part of the tradition of our of our democracy that our representatives have this theatrical mode of debate, but I'm not sure it's always that helpful to progress or to democracy, actually. I agree. <clears throat> but the thing is, is that there's a couple of things. Uh, interesting how they soon get into it though, right? Um, you know, you first of all come in- and Oh, they love it. This is the, oh, they love it. Yeah. I mean, Ian you know, Blackford like, is practically turning purple at the opportunity to 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 join in. Absolutely. I mean, if, if they could, like, I don't know, chuck rotten fruit, you know, across, especially the yeah. other Scottish Tory MPs. Oh, the tension there. Oh, that I tell you what, that just buy popcorn and and watch that. Do you know what I mean? It's just like, oh my goodness. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it is quite interesting. The thing is, is the the good thing is sometimes like. On a Wednesday, I used to go in and it just used to be cathartic, you know, it's just be like, I've had a really shitty week. Let me just go in and shout at them, you know, 
because it was just a way of getting it off the cost, really. Oh my god! See now, I'm so, <laughs> you're cracking me up. This is um, there were there were very very small list of MPs that I thought would be would be relaxed and open minded to have a chat with a drag queen on something like this, um, and. Um, honestly, like I've seen your other media interviews and I thought Dawn Butler will be just very much herself, which is great. So I'm so appreciative of you chatting today. Um, so when I think about that, the, the sort of the, the jeering politics, there is actually a set of guidelines in Parliament for what's OK and what isn't. The are skin may rules or conventions that people have to mm -hmm. oblige by. Now, you've had a sort of slap on the wrist before um, earlier this year you were removed from the Commons after uh, after saying that the Prime Minister was lying or was a liar. Um, now, at the time, I think that ruffled some feathers. Some people thought, oh, you can't say that. That's that's not the gentlemanly thing to say in Parliament. Whereas now it feels like the whole nation are kind of in agreement with Don Butler uh, six months after the fact. So how does that feel? Do you feel vindicated? <clears throat> oh god i feel so vindicated i can't tell you i also feel like <clears throat> i can just sit back now and i don't need to say anything else like i feel like my job is done you know now now yeah. we've been exposed that the emperor has no clothes on everybody can just go and and do everything now and i don't have to um i don't have to pursue it anymore even though i did um what we call legacy media uh the other day and they were just attacking me you know like um can't use another word than liar you know and, and all of the you know why did you call him a liar and then within 48 hours 24 to 48 hours as you say everybody was calling him a liar so I thought yeah it's a bit crazy it's, it's very much bullying though trying to silence someone like me and I'm just like this is it was so obvious that he is a liar um he has been sacked from three jobs um Okay, the convention in Parliament was written, as you say, like Erskine May, was written in in like the 18th century, you know, like yeah. in, centuries ago this, it was written. Yeah. And it was written at a time where it was just a couple of blokes uh, in Parliament smoking on a cigar, making laws, you know, drinking a whiskey, tapping each other, each other on the back and saying, oh, good old chap. You know, let's just make this law and legislation. And, you know, we're not going to call each other liars or God, there's some other words as well. Weird words like that was the worst thing in the world you can do. But it wasn't made. Like rapscallion and stuff, you know, I, I, yeah. I can only imagine. <laughs> stuff, you know, stuff that we don't use anymore. Yeah, you know, words that we probably have. No, I never even knew that they existed. But the system wasn't made for somebody like Boris Johnson in a post-truth era, you know, following Trump. It's like, it's, I don't know, it's like a kiddie's bike, trying to ride a kiddie's bike as a grown-up, you know, it's just not made for you. So you've got to get a bigger bike. It's like, we need to get a better system that, that will work and is, and is stronger and sustainable and can hold ministers and MPs to account. And yeah. yeah. Well, I, cause I, I think that, I can understand the sort of, I understand the thinking that goes into a convention, like you can't call one another liars in parliament. I think the idea must be that it's about, um, we must assume one another's best intentions in order to work together to get the best result. But that, that seems like a naive assumption, especially now in the face of recent, you know, uh, 
porky pies. And I, I don't say porky pies to trivialize or to make it sound uh, small and silly. Uh, but these these types of uh, fuck ups from from the government are like I can't I mean I can't I'm just stunned that they keep making them um, you know sort of it's because just like a series of schoolboy errors. It's because they get away with it. The more they can get away with it, the more they will do. I mean, can you imagine trying to work in an environment where you're being gaslighted every single day? You know, it's it's impossible mm. to function. You know, because they're saying something, they stand up at the dispatch board, they say something, and you think, oh God, I've got I've got to I've got to look that up, I've got to duck, duck, go it. You know, and they look it up and then you go, hang on a minute, that's not true. And you have to keep saying, and they go, No, but it is true. And you say, Well, it's not true. The facts are not that. Mm-hmm. So it's impossible to function. So at least if the rules are changed, that you have to you have to tell the truth. If not, you have to come and correct the record, which is currently in existence, but it's not binding at least then we can function as a parliament yeah because obviously there is a lack of trust i think there's something that probably is discussed on so many podcasts that touch on politics is the lack of trust people feel like they're losing trust in media and institutions and politics in uh you know everyone's kind of confounded by social media there's so much information people use the term polarized but i don't think that's quite right i think it's more fractured it's not that we're all at one end or the other. There's literally so many different factors. Um, so I do think that, you know, honesty should be something that is aspired to from our representatives. Um, clarity. Um, I feel like Boris Johnson won that last election on trust. Uh, you know, people sort of, it was a bit of a, in the North in particular, it was a, okay, come on, let's let's give this a go this time around. I'm not sure what his chances are redeeming yeah. that, you know, of maintaining that vote at the next level if he's even, if he's even the candidate. Um, yeah, but I wish it was an Do you feel like we're becoming too... <laughs> yeah, yes, it would be a good time for, for <laughs> Labour. <laughs> do you think we're becoming too... Um, do you think we're becoming more fractured and polarised or do you just think that because we have all of these m- ways of communicating, we're just noticing it more now? No, I think there's um, a number of things. I think that uh, social media and um, algorithms have a huge role to play. Uh, so I think that uh, what what they're doing is, you know, because it's all about clickbait. It's all about that's how they make money. So they try and keep people yeah. online or try and keep people scrolling. So. You know, if you if you're upset about something and you 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 look at it, you read something about it, they will just keep throwing you more and more things that will just get you more and more upset. And unless you make the oh conscious, yeah, it's, so well, it's that it's 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 a hijacking of the of the limbic system, which is not a phrase I could elaborate on, but I understand that it's you know it's under that 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 news companies, app designers, they understand that we will give our attention to things that feel threatening or scandalous. And, you know, we're kind of emotionally addicted to that cycle. Uh, and, and apps and news headlines are actually designed to perpetuate that, that emotional addiction. So, you know, we need to learn how to switch off ourselves or to step back. It's almost like we need a mass mindfulness as, as a culture. Yeah, I 100% agree. Because we've got to be able to take yourself out of that and and go and sort of, live in the real world you know go and Mm. go and go and meet a black person 
you know, go and meet a drag queen, go and meet a trans person. Do you know what I mean? Go and have a conversation instead of, you know, sitting and scrolling on uh, Twitter, whatever, and have it poison your mind about, you know, all the bad things. And and somehow we have to do that. Somehow we have to bring society back to that, really. Well, that's the thing is I worry when, you know, met the Facebook and Metaverse want to uh, want us to Metaverse. upload ourselves into the, into the, the digital realm. I mean, it's mad. I know. Metaverse. I mean, it, it, it's it's the sort of thing where I, th- I can imagine in 50 years, like 90% of everyone I know is living in the digital realm and I'm sat gardening my own carrots or something because I don't really want anything to do that I wouldn't even have social media if I didn't have to promote my shows and this podcast and and stuff like that um one of the things I think about the internet is that essentially it's images and words right so because that's that's the form of communication it's non-physical it's not face-to-face um the whole debate of any subject starts to become a semantic debate about the actual language. It becomes, uh, you know, because I, I noticed that in when I introduced you at the top of the podcast, your former position in the shadow cabinet was um, for black and minority ethnic communities. But this catch-all term, BAME or B-A-M-E, that's now being phased out by, I don't know if it's all, I know it's being phased out by the BBC because they feel it's not specific to certain communities or it almost obfuscates or doesn't, tell a clear picture about the specific needs of specific minorities. So the language is changing, which obviously language does change. It's a living, breathing thing. Um, Do you feel that's something that's important for us all to keep up with? Or do you think sometimes the discussion around language isn't actually about progress, it's just a sideshow? I think that... uh, Like, is that a term? term? No, I hate, I hate. I hate it. I, I, I never use it. You know, if everything I would say BAME, but I know, but I know that it came from a good place. So I, I yeah. know that, I, and I appreciate that it came from a place where people wanted wanted to be inclusive. And so it is just about um, learning and educating and being respectful and inclusive. And so, you know, and that means that we all have to go on a journey. And sometimes it can be confusing and but but that's okay as long as we learn how to communicate and how to ask the questions you know you know what are your pronouns you know that's something new that's in my pro- vocabulary <clears throat> that wasn't in my vocabulary a couple of years ago you know but it's it's cool you know it's fine it's, I just don't feel that sometimes people feel they're excluded and I don't and I and I don't I think it's an inclusive thing trying to make people feel comfortable that's all I think I think you're right. I think that there's like 100% with be it pronouns or updated terminology. I think that's often inspired by the desire to be more caring, actually. So it comes from the place of, right, what can we do to accommodate more people? But I do think sometimes terms can become quite fashionable as well. And then it's almost a keeping up with the Joneses. Because I was curious, in, in your, so your Twitter bio, you have your pronouns as she, her. So I assume that that would be in solidarity with the gender non-binary or trans people for whom pronouns can be a really important signifier of their identity. And I might be overstepping here, but I'm a drag queen, so that's my job. But I'm <laughs> assuming that you're not personally worried about being mistaken for the opposite sex or the opposite gender than, than, than you are or that you identify with. So you're having your pronouns is sort of a gesture for 
the gender non-conforming community, right? Yeah, completely. Because what I wonder is, is, is that something that, I mean, I know we might not all be on Twitter in five years. Um, you know, we might have moved on to when we might be in the metaverse by then. But do you think that the gesture of pronouns is something that you'll have in your bio ongoing, like forever? Or is it the sort of thing that this is one of the things that we're focused on as a culture discussing just now, and that, you know, that might be retired down the line once people are more aware? Um, in a way, you kind of hope that, uh, you'll hope that something else will replace it, right? Where you you, you don't have to and it, and it will be retired. But it, it, I mean, it doesn't bother me, which like I, I like my, my, vision of equality is basically you know I don't give a shit you know I I don't give a yeah. shit I don't give a shit who you love yeah you know I'd rather yeah. you love somebody than you hate them you know I'd rather you be kissing them than you fight them you know I don't give a shit how you present yourself if you're not doing anybody any harm you know I really don't give a shit I don't need to center myself in other people's you know world issue problems for it to be about me and I think you know if if somebody wants to be referred to someone as a particular um pronoun and that makes them feel comfortable you know for them and what's what harm does it do me nothing you know fighting for somebody else's equality does not diminish my equality whatsoever you know I learned to sign because I worked with somebody who was deaf and I went to wow. Well, I went to college with somebody, two people who were deaf. I only ever learned to sign my name. And I kind of felt a bit guilty about that. Like I could have done more. And so, mm. you know, that's why I learned to sign. It's no, I mean, okay, I went to evening classes. It, you know, it took time to do it. But at the end of the day, for me, if I can make somebody else feel more included, God, that's an easy gift. It's an easy gift to do. Well, I mean, that's incredible. It's, I, I, I always think because, you know, living in London, we have so many friends who, who come from different countries, particularly in Europe. Right. So half my friends will be like, I'll be at a house party and there's like Czech, Lithuanian, French, Spanish, Italian. And they we're only friends because they all speak English. Like I can't speak any of those languages. So I always think, wow, it's like I'm so grateful that it's through their having learned a language that we're able to have this party and be this group you know um so i i yeah i totally agree i think it's important um where you feel it's where you feel it's right to to make those gestures for people um so yeah no well thank you for answering that i always get anxious when i'm asking people around any questions around the gender or uh pronouns or anything like that because i feel that um social media are very like keen to willfully misinterpret what you're talking about yeah. you know um yeah. and because I'm a drag queen my job is that I you know I'm a boy but I perform as a character inspired by femininity inspired by the divas and so when I'm performing yeah people would refer to vanity as she but as a boy I'm I'm just he but I actually don't care like call me whatever I really don't care um it, it doesn't, it wouldn't offend me either way, but I, I sometimes think if somebody called my mum he by mistake, which would be unlikely, that might actually offend her. So I feel like there's kind of room for people to be uncomfortable wherever they sit on this. So we have to have a tolerance for discomfort and just go, it's okay if you're misgendered, actually. And it's, you know, 
that's that's what I would hope. I would hope that while it's it's totally cool for people to ask for the pronouns, to also mm-hmm. accept that people might not end up using them, <laughs> and that's yeah. okay. Yeah, and 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 I agree. I think and I think I think we need to get, as you say, more comfortable with being uncomfortable, but also just having the conversations. You know, because we're all going to make mistakes. You know, nobody's perfect. Yeah. We're all going to make mistakes language as you say changes everything changes we're gonna make mistakes but you know let's talk about it in a way that's respectful now on one of your an interview that i see you do um on a different podcast or a different interview show um you mentioned that you'd sort of thrown events in the past um and it sounded like you're talking about like nightclub parties or something like that was that in your uh in your history as a as a, were you a London clubber? Yeah, so I used to organise um, shows, some stuff I would do for um, charity. So I created the X Factor, not Simon Cowell. I created the X Factor long before Simon Cowell um, in East London. Uh, <laughs> I've actually got all the letters, well, I don't know where they are, but all the letters where we typed these letters out to like ITV, you know, all the main stations trying to get them to televise it. Um, so yeah, so I used to do shows like that. I I also used to organise club nights. Uh, so I would find a club and yeah. organise a club night. I'd have comedians on there, so uh, sort of lots of comedians. Uh, uh, Gina Yashere, for instance, she she did one of my club nights back in the day. So uh, I organised club nights. Um, I like to. I like to create environments where people can have fun and connect. That's that's something that always brings me yeah. joy. Uh, if like for Labour Party members, they will know about my legendary Jamaica party. So every year I have a Jamaica party uh, at Labour Party conference, and um, some people now just come for the party and then leave. Uh, but. Uh, <laughs> I know, don't don't tell the leader. Um, but uh, uh, on a Monday, everyone kind of gives me bad looks because I have like rum punch and stuff like that. And I go around giving oh, everybody yeah. shot. Yeah. So next year, I'm going to buy myself a, um, one of those shot belts. You know, the belts where you've got the little thing. And the oh, I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't need to tell me about a shot belt. Listen, <laughs> that's the accessory everyone needs. Um, but, you know, because pe- pe- that's. It's places where people are having a good time. It's where communities are formed. So, you know, sometimes, I mean, I know that people's families are very important to them. And some people go home and they lower the blinds and they lock the door and that's their night. And quite right if they want to sit and watch Emmerdale. But like, I think it's it like I, I like when I see that there's somebody who works in politics who also likes to let their hair down because the country isn't just made up of people who go home and lower the blinds, you know? um it's although we're you know we're, we've been coming back to it coming back to venues and shows and brunches and, and things like that but missing out on those social things because I'm obviously it's my work as an entertainer so I'm biased in this way but I think that that's the stuff of life like it's so important to have those um spaces and to enjoy them with one another and meet new people and you know have a random hookup here or go on a date or fall out with someone you know all the things that make life living livable you know yeah makes it colorful doesn't it It sort of makes it just you you need that kind of variety and and change of scene i mean the other the other night 
I went out, I was out dancing to like three o'clock in the morning, you know. Um, it takes me a lot longer to recover though, that's the only thing. Yeah. <laughs> Well, like I'm 32 and I'm starting to I'm starting to suffer from the, you know, like the two day hangover, the three day hangover. Um, I'm curious because the Tories have just announced a new policy for drugs. And one of the interviews we've done for the podcast is with um, Peter Kraken, who's a, uh, an activist who set up a drug overdose prevention ban in Glasgow right. to, you know, to, to help people who are using um to use more safely rather than to criminalize them, to say, look, we know you're using, we prefer you use more safely. Um, mm -hmm. But the the policy that we're hearing sounds a bit in its language, war on drugsy. And I just, I wonder if, because I know that you said we should be talking about drugs and sex more in public life and reckoning with it more. Um, is this something you expect the Labour Party is going to um, be quite strong in opposition for going forward? Do you know? Well, um... I mean, I'm not 100% uh, clear on what the government's kind of proposing, but we definitely yeah, need it does, to have, yeah. Yeah, mm. we definitely need to have a conversation around drugs. And um, what Scotland's doing, which is what's, what happens in a lot of sort of Nordic countries, um, yeah. is important because what happens is if you take somebody out of the cycle of drugs and crime, uh, everything gets better, you know, because they're not committing crimes. You've got less crime on the streets. You're yep. making sure that you're, you're, you've got them in an environment where you can monitor their drug use and hopefully take them off of drugs, help them to sort their lives out, help them to, to connect with family and friends and help them to get a job. So society benefits from that. So we, we absolutely have to have a conversation around drugs. And, you know, in London, you got, uh, you know, young black men in particular, young black boys actually, uh, in particular, yeah. being stopped and saying, you know, we can smell weed on you, and you know, for people who've never smoked in their entire life, and they get criminalised, you know, at a very early age, and that has to stop because that feeds into a cycle of, which people don't understand, like, often, like if you, if if as a young eleven year old. You, every time you leave your house, you get stopped by a police officer and you're accused of something that you haven't done. You kind of go two ways. You either, you know, say, fuck it. And, you know, I might as well do it because they're going to stop me anyway. Yeah, I'm guilty or, anyway, yeah. Exactly. Or um, it affects your mental health, you know, because every time you're coming out, you're thinking, oh my God, I'm going to get stopped. And then you start <clears> to internalise it and you start to hate yourself because you think you know, what, what I look like is getting me into trouble and there's nothing you can do about it. And so a lot, so it has a really detrimental effect. And so this is why I think we have to have um, a conversation and a different approach to, to drugs. Yeah, I, I, think, I think you're right. I mean, it's funny because it's quite personal for me as well that, that one of the things about doing this podcast is that I was adopted when I was, a baby well I was adopted when I was four I was put into care when I was a baby and my birth mother had all of these problems and in Scotland we have a, a you know a history of intravenous drug deaths as being a big issue and and the use of heroin and stuff like that and, and so I've been aware of how my life taken out of that cycle by adoption has turned out completely different in terms of outcomes from how it would have done if I'd stayed in that environment and that actually you know we, it's about we need to break cycles 
And it's all very well to moralize about people's drug use, but we do need to have a conversation within our culture about like, why people want to take drugs. And you can't really get past the fact that because a lot of them are fun and a lot of them also are substitutes for meaning, substitutes for things that people are looking for that they used to get from community and from church and from family. And in this sort of world where we're all connected but not connected via the internet, you know, well, it's no bloody wonder people want to dope themselves up. And so we need to address those things as well, I think, if we're going to have an actual holistic um, solution which is why it's frustrating because obviously we'll wait and see the details of the Tory policy, but it doesn't strike me as promising at all the sort of language that's attached to this sort of war on drugs uh, kind of kind of policy. Yeah, because because what happened is they the, for, for the Tories, whenever they're in trouble, they would talk about, uh, you know, immigrants and uh, crime because they think it makes them look tough. But let's not forget, you know, at least half of the current cabinet has boasted about taking drugs, class A drugs. Right. And so yeah. it's very different when also when you've got money that you can pay for your drug use, because then you just become a functioning drug addict. You're still a drug addict, but you're just a functioning yeah. drug addict. It's when you've it's when you can't afford to pay for your drug use that other the issues come problems, in. Problems, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's a very kind of they have a very elitist way of looking at things. That's why it kind of made me laugh when the speaker said, you know, they're going to put the sniffer dogs around Parliament and, you know, and 12, 11 out of the 12 places, you know, that they found sort of heroin and cocaine. And I was like, yeah, go for it. Let's do it. You know, let's let's absolutely do it, because yeah. I just think. That is perfect, absolute perfect. Because they they always talk about it like it's somebody else, you know, somebody else's drug problem. Yeah. You've got a bloody drug problem, mate. We saw that little sniffer dog jumping up and down on the prime minister. It wasn't because he thought he had a bone in his pocket. Do you know what I mean? It's funny because I imagine, like in my mind, I'm sure, I'm quite sure, Pretty Patel has probably never even had a, a double vodka. Like she seems very straight laced and maybe doesn't. Maybe doesn't have enough fun. Um, so I, I'd imagine she. That could explain imagine. a lot of things, Vanity. That could explain a lot of her policies. It's just, it's just the impression. Just the impression yeah. I get. I'm like, some, you know, I need. She needs to come to my show, and like, we'll we'll have yeah. a good time, and she'd be very welcome. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm about trying to build bridges and connect people, but yeah, um, I can imagine her bringing in all the, the sniffer dogs, and then being stunned to learn that it's everyone around her who's, you know or staffers and representatives. And that's the thing, I think you're right. God, you know, I can't stand hypocrisy and neither can, neither can, um, you know, the electorate. I was talking to Peter Tatchell, you know, the human rights and LGBT campaigner. And he used to, as a, as a quite radical, quite shocking campaign, he was out priests who were preaching, homo, you know, preaching that it was wrong to be gay, but on the meantime, having sex with men and he would out them and it was very controversial but he said that what he was doing is he was outing hypocrites and that their hypocrisy had earned them an outing you know they'd have been left alone otherwise mm -hmm. and that's very contentious i don't know how i feel about that but it does speak to how infuriated people are at the idea that they're being moralized to by people who are at it themselves mm. yeah i mean that's a difficult one isn't it because do you actually is it ever right to out somebody themselves you know 
Yeah. But, well, but that's I understand. That's, yeah. It's a big moral question. I think a lot of uh, people in the LGBT community would disavow that as a tactic, you know, because privacy is part of our safety. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it was just, that sort of all happened in the 90s, I think. So when I was still just a wee, a wee boy. <laughs> so I don't, <laughs> I, that, that's from a bygone era. It's funny, sometimes I'm glad when there's something I don't need to have an opinion on. I'm like, now, yeah. like, that's, that's, that's not happening now. So I don't need to have a view on it. Um, I think that's something we have a lot of pressure to do. We have a lot of pressure to have an opinion on everything now. And like, I don't know enough about, I probably don't know enough about anything to have a particularly well-informed view. And so for me, that's one of the reasons why I'm, that's why I'm keen to have these conversations. It's why I'm very pro-free speech is that I want to hear the ideas that other people have so that I have all the information so I can make up my mind because I find it very hard to make up my mind about stuff. Although I will say with the drugs thing, I do think we need to chill out and have, <laughs> have a proper conversation about it. Yeah, people kind of uh, run away from from that conversation, sort of drugs and sex. But I also wouldn't, um, I wouldn't also kind of uh, put yourself down to say like, you know, you don't know enough about a lot of things because don't forget, there's a lot of people in government who don't know a lot about a lot of things, but pretend they do. And so, <laughs> yeah. That's often why we get into so much trouble because they're too busy. Like, and there's a certain amount of um, uh, upbringing, you know, education. There's something about people who have gone to Eton that have been taught that you you are born to rule. That gives them this sense of entitlement that they walk around like they know stuff when they really don't, and then they say things with such confidence that you know, they end up sometimes like persuading a room or getting a job, you know, and then there's the other like working class, you know, us lot who are just, you know, we'd be like, we're really honest, like, well, you know, I'm really sorry. I, you know, I, I don't know all of that. You know, we should just bullshit like, you know, like the, the, the elite white men that do. <laughs> so we're um, almost at the end um, of our conversation and I'm honestly I'm so so glad and grateful that you've come on to have the chat with us today when you were at the Labour Party conference a few years ago you read out the lyrics of the greatest showman at the end of your address to conference so I just had an idea for you um, of a few things that you might read out in parliament if you want to use song lyrics the next time that you're speaking so <clears throat> here we have one for you this is Fleetwood Mac. If I could turn the page in time that I'd rearrange just a day or two. Close my eye, close my eye, close my eyes, but I couldn't find a way. Tell me lies, tell me sweet little lies. Tell me lies, tell me, tell me lies. Do you think you could do that to the Prime Minister next time you think he's going to waffle on? I could, I could, I could, I could kind of, yeah, I could do the beginning bit. And then just do dot, you know, kind of just leave the space for everybody to fill in the gaps. Yeah, yeah, I could do that. Could do that. I like it. Well, listen, I um, don't want to take up any more of your time. You've been very generous. Uh, I know it's uh, very hectic, probably in the run up to Christmas, normally for an MP, but you know, it's, everything's in turbo mode at the moment. So Don Butler, thank you so much for being guest here on The Vanity Project. Vanity, thank you so much. I've totally loved it. Can't wait to come and see your show.
Well, there we have it. Uh, that was the fabulous Don Butler. Usually in this slot now, we would have what we call Queen's Corner, where we would have a discussion with uh, someone from nightlife, be it uh, one of my drag queen friends or um, DJs and people like that. But we were unable to schedule someone in, and I'm so keen to make sure that these podcasts go out in a timely fashion above all else, so to make sure that we still get this up on time. Um, I'm going to reflect on the conversation solo. This is what it's like being inside my head. Um, One of the things I loved about what Don was saying is that when it comes to other people and their choices and their lifestyles and and who they are, Don doesn't care how people live their lives, as long as they're not hurting anybody else. And this, to me, is like a very traditional liberal approach to life. And when we say we don't care, we don't mean, oh, we don't care and we hope you have a, a, a shit time. It means, I don't care and I hope you have a wonderful time. I hope you enjoy yourself. I hope you find fulfillment. I know that the Everybody Hates Us Brigade might want to willfully misinterpret that as some dismissal of the rights and needs of minorities, but that's obviously not what Don's saying. I'd ask listeners to do as Don has done and keep an open mind when having conversations with people who you might disagree with on certain things. Although I have to say, I find myself agreeing with much and most of what Don had to say today. You know, we touched on topics like trust in government and the shifting of political and interpersonal language and drugs policy and beyond. So it's it can be dicey subjects. So I find that being warm and frank is the way to have these conversations. And that's exactly how we should discuss ideas with open minds and open hearts. Having a high profile elected representative on the podcast so early on, um, I hope is going to be really good for us. Uh, but if you are enjoying the conversation so far, we also need your support. So do subscribe, the Van- subscribe to The Vanity Project or even better, share it on your timeline with your friends. This is a great conversation to do that with because we've got um, a high profile MP uh, who, who's like bright and brilliant and able to have a laugh. And so hopefully your friends will find this interesting too and become glowworms joining The Vanity Project as regular listeners. Coming up next week and in the coming weeks, we have some more interesting guests from various different worlds and walks of life, from performance to activism. So we hope you'll join us again for more fascinating conversations. you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.